Hello, welcome back to Where Love Lives with me, Lulu LaVey. This is episode 11, the penultimate in the series, and this show is mega extra special as my guest is artist, the amazing Ryan Gander, in conversation with the equally amazing and super lovely Miranda Sawyer. This dynamic pairing wasn't exactly planned, as on the day of the interview I was so bloody sick with long Covid, dearest Miranda stepped in and saved the day, of course. I feel very humbled to have such supportive and understanding friends, thank you Miranda, which reflects what this podcast is all about. Friendships, in my opinion, are just as important as romantic relationships, so this show is dedicated to the importance of friends in all of our lives. As Maya Angelou says about what makes proper friendship, try to be a rainbow in someone's cloud. So here's a shout out to all the rainbows out there, starting with my guest Ryan Gander, who took time out of his extremely busy schedule to come into the studios at Soho Radio last month. Ryan is a self-described neo-conceptual artist and amateur philosopher, whose work ranges from a life-size abandoned betting shop made of glass through to animatronic, multi-expressive, googly eyes that pop out of walls oh yes what i love about ryan's work is that it's witty and playful whilst being able to offer insight and social commentary about the crazy and wonderful world that surrounds us ryan is also very humble fun to be around and not to up himself which makes me like him even more to explore his work do go to the show blurb you're gonna love it anyway enough of me here's miranda and ryan discussing the things he loves Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to this episode of Where Love Lives with Lulu LeVay. But regular listeners may have guessed that this is not Lulu LeVay. Uh, it is, in fact, Miranda Sawyer. And I have stepped in because Lulu's unwell this week. Um, and uh, so I've taken over because, you know why? Because I love Lulu and Lulu loves me. And this is a podcast about love. Um OK, well, I have appeared on this podcast actually before and uh, in that podcast um, I discuss my love of art, weirdly, which leads me into a beautiful segue into this week's guest because it is Ryan Gander, who is an artist. Right, you can say hi, Ryan. Hiya. Hiya. Um, I'm going to do an intro and then we'll have our chat, OK? So Ryan Gander is a celebrated artist. In fact, you've got an OBE now, haven't you? I have got an OBE, yeah. Yeah, in your back pocket. Medal, little medal. <laughs> a little medal that you pin on for certain occasions. Most artists kind of try to develop a signature style, a recognisable style. And the really interesting thing about Ryan's work is that he does not. His work is vastly varied. It can be something as small as a pair of pristine white Air Force Ones with mud around the bottom, or it can be as large as an entire betting office made out of glass. He collaborates with designers. He's set up an art school in Suffolk. He does so many different things. And recently, he's moved into public art. There's a really brilliant piece that you you did in Scarborough, which is, is, is it called a dolos? Dolos, yeah. Yeah, which is essentially something to stop the sea coming in. Is that right? Yeah, they're coastal defensive bricks. They're massive. You see them sometimes on beaches and on the back of lorries when they're being moved around. They look a bit like something from War of the Worlds. Yeah, and they're kind of concrete and yeah. scary, aren't they? Yeah. And you've installed it on a on a on a kind of top of a cliff. It's on is the that cliff right? by um, uh, by the 
Scarborough Castle. And the idea is that it's not complete because it's to be completed when snow lands on it, if snow Yeah, a lot of people were quite disappointed about it because I pitched it as being unfinished, which I thought was quite a funny thing to do and might, you know, spike people's interest, but a lot of uh, local people found that a bit depressing. But the point (laughs) is that um, those things, you see, they've been invented to interrupt humans cycles like nature's cycles they're man-made things aren't they to interrupt those cycles um and the way that we're interrupting the cycles of the world has consequences doesn't it you know so so what i did is i put the original shape through an algorithm in a computer that put snow on it and then the mass of the snow that fell on it i subtracted from the original shape so it's only really complete if it snows and if it snows, we don't know if anyone will well, ever snow again. Well, it's less and less likely to snow, isn't it? So, yeah. I mean, it, it struck me. Someone said to me that my three-year-old Baxter, I've got a little lad, the youngest of... I've got three kids and he's the youngest one. Um, they said to me, he's of that generation that will brag when he's about 15 to kids that he's seen snow in the garden. Yeah. Because, you know, in 10 years, it could be the climate like Barcelona where we just don't get snow in Britain. Yeah, I mean, it's noticeable. I've got two kids, one's 16 and one's 10, and the 16-year-old definitely has experienced... I mean, you know, we can remember certain occasions when we went to the local park and stuff like that, and I think my daughter's experienced it about, like, once for a day. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's you know, that's I think that's the thing. There's so much talk around climate things and there's so many buzzwords and there's so much, like, shame and guilt and un- uncomfortable feelings and positions around it that no one really listens and it's only when you see like dead tangible physical things that you you can see you can you know physically mark in the world like oh it stopped snowing in the garden my kid's not built a snowman they're they're the things that really shock people into realizing it's like massively important and real real shockingly real it's like a nightmare that you don't wake up from a bit yeah, it is indeed. Let's ask an optimistic question. <laughs> <laughs> not only two people with northern dulcet tones, but also talking about climate change, how the world's going to end. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> just going to be switching off. Oh, my God. OK, so look, I want to also, just before we start um, talking about your, your love topics, yeah. is just to remind you of the kind of connection that you, me and Lulu have, which was that um, I was part of a, a kind of culture show programme about you and we went, we did loads of really brilliant things. We went back to your the house you grew up in. We went to Suffolk, where you now live now, and we went up to Manchester, where you had a really great exhibition. And Lulu um, DJed at the after party and I nominally DJed. I mean, I didn't really. I turned up with kind of CDs of stuff I wanted you to did. DJ You did, you got into with. it at the end. I, I was like best, After a I? few drinks, you yeah. were into it. Yeah, I was really into your maracas. <laughs> So I was the dancer to Lulu's amazing DJing. And um, it was really fun, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. I have good memories of that show. It's strange because, you know, I get to, look. luckily, I get to go all over the world and do shows everywhere. But when you go to these places, you don't know anyone. Mm. So going to Manchester, because I'm from Chester, which is just up the road, and I lived in Manchester for, I know, five or six years. So doing a show there at the museum, like a, a big show, was just amazing. Yeah. It felt like... I wish every show that I'm going to do in the future had that vibe to it. 
because it was just so nice. It was so familiar and comfortable, but also massively exciting to do it. Yeah, because it's also somewhere, as somebody who grew up near Manchester, where there wasn't loads of art. I mean, it never felt like I went into Manchester to look at art, really. So it was quite, it was really exciting. It was at the Whitworth, wasn't it? It was at the the City Art Gallery, which is, they're the same museum now. Two different different buildings. But But it's the one in town as opposed to the one out of town. Yeah, Yeah. it was But you know, when I was a student, I I sort of coveted that space. It was kind of like dreams that might never come true but one day maybe you know yeah I mean that's the aspirations of all art students isn't it and it's weird that you know most art students nearly every art student ends up doing not art doing a different job but doing it creatively which that's the way I define art students you know it's not whether you carry on making art it's uh, I think art schools are great breeding places and great catalysts for people who might be a police officer or a producer or anything but do it differently think about the job differently in a creative way yeah yeah definitely i mean i always wish i went to art school instead of like studying law what did you study law what an idiotic thing to do anyway let's snip that conversation (laughs) because it was a waste of time okay so actually your first topic so this show is obviously about Love, non-romantic love, love of anything that isn't, you know, kind of your primary romantic relationship. And you've got three topics. And the first one is time. (laughs) This is so weird because um, before Lulu was ill and before I knew I'd be seeing you here, I picked time. And you've written a book about midlife crisis, which I've read, yeah. which is so weird. So when I heard it, I was like, no way. Yeah, and it's called it's Out like, of Time. <laughs> it's like your specialist subject, so now I want to change me. <laughs> <laughs> now you want to You're change You're going to gazump me with your knowledge. Okay, why did you pick it? I picked it because I'm going through a midlife crisis. No. <laughs> <laughs> I picked it because a lot of my work is about time, I think. Or less time and more the possibilities that you can achieve with time meaning meaning so my dad said to us he's always said since he was really little um time is your greatest asset he's full of really wise quotes my dad uh and i think if if he listens to this he'll cringe and hate me saying this but i think he always wanted to be a poet he's shown me things that he wrote when he was a kid um and he's really good writer and he's a bit of a amphil amateur philosopher Mm. and um but you know life's trajectory is the way things change you and shape you so his dad died when he was young and he worked at Vauxhalls as an engineer but I had this feeling that he would have gone to like a creative writing thing or become a writer or something or or journalist have this other trajectory in like the time map of his life where he could he would have gone somewhere else. Um, and it's weird, isn't it? Because we all have them. It's not just him. He's just an example that I use. We all have those parapossible versions of our reality or our life that shoots off. And that has a lot to do with time and the possibility of time. So time is your greatest asset. And what's funny about when you think about that saying, I'm, I always think when I think about the word asset, I think about money, cash, house, car, all the crap that, you know, middle-class upbringing teaches you. And, and the capitalist reality that we all live in and will never escape, you know, it's too... Um, but really, when you think of time, time has to come before money, doesn't it? Because um, time creates money. 
Um, so you, also, you can't have money without time. No, and it's also interesting. I mean, it's interesting to me that you said that your your dad, his dad, died early. Is that, mm. And yeah, yeah. And um, I've interviewed a lot of kind of people, you know, celebrities, or if that's the right word, but people who work in art, who work in music, and stuff like that. And I, loads of them have lost a parent. I mean, absolutely loads. Weird. And I think it, it if that happens to you, obviously it completely shakes you up, but also it gives you a sense of time mm. of a, a a possible shortness of span mm. that i think that you don't have when you're younger normally you don't you just think oh you know i mean you vaguely somewhere think in your head you're going to live forever you're never going to get old and it's all going to be fine until I mean, what age i'd say until <laughs> uh, until 40 yeah 40 early 40s yeah. Yeah, between 40 and 50 yeah. but um if you're lucky but mm. uh, loads of creative people have had that it's almost like a starter gun they're like off oh, oh, i better yeah. i better go now like it yeah 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 it's funny but say yeah to say i love it is quite a, a weird thing because when i started thinking about the things that i love it's not time that i love because time is always passing and it's intangible and you can't hold on to it it's the possibility of the future that i love and i also think time's really interesting because it's kind of as democratic as it gets you know yeah. some people are born into really wealthy families some people are not some people are born with no cultural capital, no books or pictures in their house. And so we, th there's a lot of um, different places that people start from. There's a lot of inequality in that. But really, most people are born with the possibility of time. Yeah. And by using the time well, you could enhance the rest of the time and make the time longer and it more in it's not just about how long you live it's about how much you enjoy your time and how you slow time yeah you know definitely. how you stay in the moment or how you stretch time that you have rather than squander it it's interesting as well because there's there's a few things around that so the concept of time or how you experience time passing is obviously personal but it also can be quite cultural so if we think about time and you come you come from a kind of European background and you read from left to right, you'd have a tendency to think of it, the future being somewhere over to the right. To the right, yeah. <laughs> and the past being somewhere to the yeah. left. And if you uh, come from uh, the if you come from China, you know where you think the future is? Down the floor. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's so wrong. And yeah. like the past is up above yeah, you, which yeah, is yeah. just completely yeah. in my head, completely wrong. And once I realised that, that the concept of time is actually slightly constructed. You can pull it around. Yeah, totally. You can completely pull it around. So I have a very fixed idea of where everything is. It's just how I think about numbers and time. And if I think about a date, it's in a very particular area of space. But I can change that. Mm. It's just, it doesn't matter. It can be as, as close or as far away as you like. I think that's what I like about the democracy of time. This idea that from the moment that you're born... You are in control. So it's not just time, is it? It's also agency mm. and being in, in control of your attention. Um, there's this writer that I met at Princeton. I was a fellow there for a, a couple of years. And there was a, a philosopher writer there. He was actually one of the founders of Google. And he left Google too because he was so upset with the algorithms and the way that they were manipulating people. And he wrote a book that's called Stand Out of My Light. So he writes about attention economy. Um, and I was in a bar in the in the hotel next to the university with him, and I said, how would you explain attention economy? Because it's quite a complicated subject. How would you explain that in a few words, a sentence, to someone who's not read about it? Because it's quite a hard thing to 
to talk about and to explain to people. And he said, if you had one day left to wit to live, would you spend it on Instagram? And that was it. <laughs> I thought it was so profound. Yeah. It's, it's also, you know what it's like? It's like those things that they have on Instagram, that, that, that they'll put it in front of like a beautiful scene and they'll write it in font. Oh, yeah, like a motivational <laughs> Motivational post, or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you had one day left, would you spend it? Would you be here? reading this? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, it's funny. Yeah, so so it's not just time, I guess. I guess it's attention and agency. And it's funny, you know, at the moment, we've all, well, for decades, we've all been banging on, me, you, everyone we know, about freedom and about our right to decide and about equality. But most of us don't even use the agency we have. Mm. That's the strange thing. I mean, me included. I'm not, it's not a critique of anyone, but... You know, we're given the agency to control how we spend our time and what value we put it to. Um, and I spend loads of time on Instagram just wa- <laughs> wasting it, you know. Just, I sometimes Looking think... at puppy videos and cooking recipes and yeah, stuff. I, yeah, I've definitely spent a lot, not so much cooking, but definitely a lot of time looking at for cute animals. Um, I think what's interesting about that, though, is there's a point, like, pre-phoned, you know, when... You know, you would be in company of people with people and stuff like that. And there's a point actually where you kind of just want to go back, you know, like step away, be like a sim character that's just not moving. You know what I mean? Just standing there like that, not really doing anything. And I think that phones give you the ability to do that. So you're in the room with people because you want to say, yeah, I like your company. I love you all. This is absolutely great. But I'm just a bit tired of being on and talking. So kind of just look at something that doesn't mean I have to do anything. It's like a cigarette. Yeah. It's like a moment of time, like um, it's like a pause, yeah, just or an outtake, pause. yeah, an offcut from the busyness, yeah. Because otherwise, you'd just be going to the toilet all the time. Yeah, <laughs> but we used to have that, didn't we? When you think traditionally, that's what a church was. Yeah, you know, it's a, just another constructive s- story that we've made up. But really, it was a form of meditation, moment to sit quiet. Yeah, I find that that I have most of my ideas for projects and artworks and exhibitions when I'm in the shower or washing up. Yeah. And that's because I haven't got my phone. Yeah, and also because you're doing something but you're not thinking about it. Yeah, like driving as well. Yeah. It's like you physically your body is busy, but your mind is free to meander and roll around. And It's funny, do you remember? I, th- I remember when I was a kid, we'd go on like holidays to North Wales with my parents and we'd sit in the back of the car and obviously there was no iPads or anything. And we'd just look out the window. Mm. Spend like two hours just staring out of the window from the back seat, watching. I wasn't looking at anything. And it's funny to think now, the realisation that what I was doing was just exercising my mind. It was cognitive. It was gym, cognitive gym. Yeah. Just using my imagination. And all those moments of pauses, all those moments of time that was unused where we used to use our imaginations they've just been erased from our lives they just get filled with being fed information that we haven't even chosen to to take on yeah i tell you where yeah because i was thinking about this the other day i was thinking about how much i enjoy being on public transport which sounds a bit weird but i do really like it because you see <laughs> lots of unusual people that you wouldn't see otherwise and but you don't have to interact with them if you don't want. And you're going somewhere and somebody's doing it for you. You're not driving or anything. You're just sitting there. And I especially like being on public transport when I can't get Wi-Fi. So, like, yeah. a plane is like ideal. Planes are amazing. Or a tube is really good. Or a train when you're going through places where, you, you know, there's no Wi-Fi. 
That's the best. Yeah, they've ruined that plane thing now because you can get... I went on a flight recently and there was Wi-Fi. Oh, that's so bad. So irritating. Because you're in this bubble, aren't you? You're in like a... Yeah, it's like the pause button. It's liminal, isn't it? You're in a liminal space, which is really important, especially because nearly always when you're on a plane, you haven't finished the work that you should have done before you got on the plane. Definitely, yeah. (laughs) You're like, oh, God, it's okay. I can just sit here for a bit. And then I watch a rubbish film. Maybe I'll do a little bit of work on the plane. Do you cry a lot on planes? Of course. I'm always crying. Yeah, especially with the films. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something about being in a tube in the sky, in a (laughs) pressurised tube in the sky. (laughs) Just being that close to mortality yeah. um, and having the headphones. So your senses are totally on one thing. Yeah. Oh, God. Even shit rom-coms. I'm just yeah. like a baby. Yeah, and they course. come around with the little thing of ice cream and I look up at the steward and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so you, much. <laughs> <laughs> That's really kind. <laughs> I, know, I know what I want to talk to you about. So creation of art. That it, the interesting thing about that is what it does to time when you're doing it. Oh, so good question. Because you know what a lot of people talk about is a kind of flow state. So can you get into a flow state? Because then you're not aware of time, and time passes in a different way. And I remember thinking when I had children that all I wanted was for them to find something where they got into a flow state. I don't care what it is, other than you know, obviously not hitting other people, but you know. Yeah. My son's really into football, so that's his flow state. And when he plays football, if it's going well, he can't even hear the people around the edge, you know, shouting. It's just he's playing, and that's it. He's in that zone. And my daughter, she finds it in different things, but mostly kind of reading and a bit of drawing. And if you if you can get into that state where you think, oh, that is the time's passed, or the time, you know, with a game, say a football game, the time is mad in a football game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because if you're winning then the time is really, 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 really slow. Yeah. And if you're losing, the time's passing like yeah. mad, you know. Yeah. It's completely nuts, Never you know. And um, And uh, that flow state is the interesting thing about time, I think. And you must get that quite a lot, no? Because you make art. Well, you, you think I would, but I don't know if I do, you know. I think I would if I was uh, a traditional artist. I... What, locked in a garret painting? Yeah. Mm. On my own, because it when you th- yeah when you think of an artist, you do think of that romanticized vision of an artist in a garret, don't you? Yeah. And it's a solitary life, and it's just them and their torturous ideas and whatever. <laughs> but mine's not like that. It's a bit like my job's a bit more like being an art director of a massive creative consultancy firm, where the end user, the client, is everybody and everyone's <laughs> opinions. <laughs> And, it's stressful. Yeah, and the the objective is just to make whatever I want. <laughs> it's kind of a jammy job. I've got. I think I've got one of the best jobs in the world. It is a brilliant job, but also it's quite hard because you have no parameters. Yeah, I mean, I make parameters for myself. That's how I get around it. Because I think, yeah, it's like uh, you just stop, don't you? It's like blind panic when you when you're given no parameters. You can do whatever you want. Here's a huge museum. Like, yeah, that's a nightmare. <laughs> you just end up talking about yourself and there's nothing worse than art that's about one person. Just... So what do you do? Do you just put like a kind of like, like say, rules? Yeah. Little like So then it's almost like a frame, isn't it? Then? Yeah. You know, this is the box that I've got to put everything in. And I guess it's also, it's also easier to start if you know what your work looks like. 
So a lot of artists, they wake up and they're like, oh, I do blue paintings. <laughs> and they're usually 30 centimetres square. And they might wake up one day and they might be like, oh, I'll put a, make a bit darker this blue today. Or, or I'll do an oblong. You know, it's really small steps. And traditionally, we've called, we artists have called that practice, you see. Mm. But um, yeah. But your art is not like not like that. that at all. I can't. I just start with nothing, and I'm like, I'll do a radio play, and then the director in my studio might say, "No one will buy that. It'll make no money. We won't be able to pay anyone. But you can do it. But you have to make a sculpture, as well, <laughs> <laughs> to offset your That's... narcissism and your self pleasure. So it's kind of yeah, it's kind of quite a logical process. But I just have starting points of things that I think would i'd like to see in galleries you know things that would challenge me so i remember in the manchester show there's a bit that really i really charmed me and it was these two googly eyes oh yeah magnus opus yeah and they just old work that yeah yeah but it was really nice in a gallery environment because you go around and you you know a lot of your work makes you think so you're thinking quite hard as you're going around and then there was just these eyes that kind of opened and look at you and shut those yeah you know i got to that because when when you know when you go to museums and you see people looking at art, mm. but you see a load of people who've been dragged to the museum who don't like art, and they're looking at people looking at art, and there's this mad kind of relationship, and it's between the spectacle, which is the art, mm. and the spectator, which is the person looking at the art, but then it gets a bit more complicated, the equation, because there's another spectator who's looking at the spectator who's looking at the spectacle. <laughs> My mum's big into this. She's a massive people watcher. Yeah. Um, and I thought, God, it'd be weird, wouldn't it, if the museum, the institution of art, the history of it and the fabric of the building looked back at you. So I just made these anim- animatronic eyes with sensors that trace the person, the spectator, the visitor, uh, and they respond to them. So if they stand still, they fall asleep and get bored. And if they walk away, they do an eye roll. <laughs> really flippantly as if to say all right. yeah, like a teenager yeah. all right see ya yeah. ta-ra never but like you anyway where, that's where it comes from so they all come from but you know that that's my starting point but I always also think that really great art starts in one place but ends in like a million places with a million different people because we're all so different we all have such different life experiences that have built our knowledge and our prejudices and the way that we read signs and symbols and semiotics, that every reading of an artwork would be different. So for me, bad art is art that tells you something, that yeah. communicates. I mean, that could be something else. It, it could well, be sometimes a, talk a film, or a talk, isn't it? Or, yeah, or a film. Or, it a doesn't fil- need to be art, really. Yeah. And also you can get a film, for, I find films sometimes slightly frustrating for this, where they just take you by the nose and tell you what you're meant to feel at all points. So it's like you sat on a roller coaster. Not that I don't like roller coasters, but it's a very specific yeah. uh, experience, isn't it? Yeah. You know when you're meant to go, woo, like that. But it's boring. It's like when you go to the cinema, see an action movie, everyone walks out with totally the same opinion of it. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's, there's, no, there's no point to that, really. That's, an, that's like another distraction. That's mm. just consumption of time needlessly without it activating anything or changing, not without it being transformative. Yeah. So for me, the art that I love when I go to museums is the art that, if I go with a friend, they have a completely different understanding of it. Yeah. Even if we're from similar you know, culture, similar upbringing, similar class, that we still read it completely differently. Yeah. And making art that's open and making art that's really ambiguous is hard. 
really and still interesting you know the the people are still intrigued by it people still stay with it rather than it just being a five second buzz and then walking away that's a really really hard thing to do i think yeah so it's not it's it has its perks being an artist but it's not the easiest job in the world well i think you make it hard <laughs> you made it hard. <laughs> yeah, i don't no. ryan you nana should just be doing like blue paintings <laughs> yeah just do, do well blue painting to nana Right, okay, look, your second love topic. I like this. I'm going to call it love topics. So your love topic <laughs> is uh, Suffolk. Oh, Why do you like Suffolk? I live in Suffolk. You, love, you live and love in Suffolk. <laughs> you could make Which that is, kind of advert for it, couldn't you? <laughs> it's unusual, isn't it, yeah. to, to live in the country. I'm also quite surprised that you do, meaning that you're from the northwest and the northwest, you know, wherever you live in the northwest, it's pretty busy. You're a townie yeah. if you live in the northwest, wherever you are, <laughs> yeah. basically. Aren't you? Yeah, you go on the motorway everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're. Yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. The countryside doesn't really exist. Uh, so that's why I'm quite surprised. And also, the people from the northwest who tend to like the countryside, they tend to like the lakes. So it's like yeah. dramatic um, mountains. It's freezing there. It does rain a lot. <laughs> when we moved to Suffolk, we did think about moving to Manchester because you can get, a, or then you could get amazing warehouses and stuff for a studio. Um, but my wife's from Suffolk and like we met in New York and moved, we lived here in London for, I don't know, a decade or so. And then when we had our first kid, we were like, we bought an old house in a like a medieval market town by the sea and uh, started just doing it up ourselves. And we had a kid and we just, it was for the weekend really, because we couldn't afford to buy a flat in London. We thought, buy something outside, be dead cheap. And then we've got something that we can go to. And it it became like Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday had come, and we'd be like, oh, we just stay one more night till Tuesday. And then it just ended up with us living there. It was weird. Yeah. And so you were quite, almost quite surprised that you ended up living there. Really surprised. Yeah. It's like that thing of life's trajectory. Sometimes you just follow a path and you end up in a place, and you don't know how you got there. Just happenstance <laughs> like and chance that got you there, yeah. <laughs> and what do you love about Suffolk then? Let, honestly, let's do an Alan Partridge advert. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it's near Norwich, where yeah, Alan's from. Yeah, exactly. So um, I just love that. I think it's unusual for artists to live in the countryside. And the biggest thing is it offers me time and space. Mm. So my first love, it offers me my first love. <laughs> and I guess the greatest currencies for artists is time and space. Because, you know, there's this there's this thing where it's like a vicious circle for artists where, you know, I used to teach at three universities, drive around the country every week teaching art and have a studio in Hoxton, come back at the weekend, spend a day in the studio, have a day to do my laundry, get back in the Renault Clio mm -hmm. and then start driving around all week teaching. And it's kind of this snake eating its own tail of you have a job to pay for the space because you need the money to pay for the space and then when you've got the space you t spend your time doing the job to make the money to get the space so yeah time and space are super important to artists and also you need the kind of space in your head i think because i love london i live so in so distracted i mean i'm here now and I, I went last night to the ra summer exhibition because yeah. i've just been made an ra oh yeah brilliant which is funny for a scally because i didn't think they let yeah it's kind of like changed doesn't yeah, it oh they let anyone in now conformist institution <laughs> i was like what are they letting me in for 
Do you get a medal for that as well? Yeah, I had two medals last night. I wore two medals. Did you? Just, I, well, they, it said that you have to wear medals on the invitation. So if you had, if you were like, you know, like a soldier, you'd have to wear all your medals. Yeah, but they were just, they were, they were cultural heroes, <laughs> not actual heroes. Yeah, so they all, so if I you put had... them in my pocket and took them just in case. And then I got there, I thought, no one will be wearing them. Everybody had medals on. I was like, wow. wow. Yeah, it was mad. Really so you mad. pinned your, what, your OB and your RA? I thought you'd get robbed in Soho, wheeling around <laughs> with a massive gold medal. <laughs> That's so funny. Imagine if you were Olympian, you'd have to wear that as yeah, well. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I I've got to... a swimming medal. You should Some have put that on. Put that on I, know. I can't believe One it. of them Starbucks chocolate ones I could have put on. <laughs> I've laid to them. <laughs> So you went to the RA, you displayed your medal. Yeah, so no, yeah, just that. So I'm here for a few days. I come back to London every couple of weeks for a couple of days, a couple and of then, nights. But, and... but you don't get distracted. So the problem is if you live in London, I mean, there are, you know, you can do stuff every night, can't you? That's the problem. Mm. When I live there, I just go out every night. There's always something to do. And there's the danger that you end up the person on a dark street with a warm beer. In a free outside a freezing cold gallery, in the rain every night, you know that opening circuit of oh we just go in here, oh let's all go there, and then it's like Groundhog. It got for me a bit like Groundhog Day. So it was especially with kids, it was good to break that kind of. Um, yeah, it could it could have got worse and worse. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean I still live in London. It is great, but in order to work, it is hard. You sometimes yeah. you just have to leave. For a yeah. Bit. It's funny, so it's maybe it's not Suffolk. Mm. This has made me think. Maybe it's not Suffolk that I love. It's the fact that when I come back to town, uptown, <laughs> that um, I have more, I commit more of the things that I love to memory. So again, because maybe it's, it's unusual. Time. It's time. Yeah, that's yeah. I when I did the the book out of time, I interviewed uh, this woman who'd written a book about time, and one of the, the things she says is that. As you get older, in order to make your life kind of more efficient, you have more things to do, don't you? You you do the same thing all the time. Of course you do, because that's the nature of it. Cause in order to get everything done, you kind of streamline everything. Yeah. So you get up at the same time, you do your teeth at the same time, and it's quite often time goes faster when you and do time that. goes faster. And yeah. it's obviously it's quite often um, dictated by children. So even if your life is freelance, once you have got kids, you've got to get them to the school. At you the same only time. remember the first nappy. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? And then you do like a million. You know, you don't remember doing the second one. Yeah, unless it's completely explosive. Yeah, no chance. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a few a... significant ones that yeah, committed to memory. <laughs> <laughs> but so because of that, then you become very efficient and things, you know, you eat the same sandwich. Yeah. You know, and so everything just merges into a, a day. And the only way that you want, if you want to make your time stretches, you have to change that. So even if you walk to the tube a different way or you eat a different sandwich or you go to a different part with a dog, you've got to change it or your time will just go faster. This is what brings me to my third love. Yeah, what's that? Go on. What's my third love? Language. So, the, I, so yeah, I, I think this is these things are actually related, thinking about it now, because when I wander around London now, like this morning, I went for a really long walk around. Wheel, because I have a wheelchair, I don't walk. So I went for a wheel around. And uh, I noticed things, and I commit them to memory, and I wouldn't have committed them to memory if I'd lived here all the time, I would have taken them for granted. Mm. And the things that I commit to memory are really important, kind of strange, idiosyncratic um, signs and signifiers 
and weird happenstancical or chance-like things that I see in the street, the behaviour between two people, things like that. And they're really the source of inspiration for projects that I do. I collect them on my phone. So when I say, so do you actually take photos or like notes? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, both of them mm. and voice recordings. If it's yeah. Um, so this morning I took loads of photos of just strange things, door handles. Uh, there was this gnarly kind of you know stump where a branch has been sticking out the side of the tree mm. in Regent's Park, and it really looked like someone was hiding behind a tree. <laughs> and so there's these things, and there's thousands of them. And I think what's really interesting about art and what I really love about my job is it for affords me time to indulge my imagination in looking around me and we all have the ability to do that but most of us are really distracted and just don't have the time or the attention or the possibility to wander around with our eyes open you know people go to museums all the time looking for something special mm. and interesting and like um, something unusual and profound, cognitively profound. But really, the world around us, outside of the gallery, outside of the museum, is better than the stuff in the museum. It's better than art. It's all out there in the world, especially in places like London and Manchester, cities where there's a big sort of urban narrative in the fabric of the city. There's loads of these traces and signs and signifiers. It's just that we, we wander around with, like... Uh, a valve in our brain shut where we don't take them in. Yeah, because it's too hard sometimes as well, isn't it? Because if you want to overwhelming, do... isn't it? Yeah, it's too much. It's like um when the, there's a definition of a particular kind of madness and what it is is essentially normally in order to get through the world you can only see it through a letterbox. Like if you look at it completely and you take it all in, that's a kind of form of madness, you know, yeah. whether it's bipolar or whatever. Um, that it's a kind. It, there's too much information. Yeah. You can't deal with it. And so you have to look at everything through a letterbox because otherwise it's just absolutely overwhelming. But when you go to a new place, you kind of expand that letterbox, don't you? You're like, ooh, look. They... You, yeah, let more in. I'm not yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, they're like, you know, I don't know. I remember once ages ago going to, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was, it was Czechoslovakia years and years ago in Prague. And uh, uh, I wanted something to eat and I went to, I thought I'd get a hot dog. And I went to this place and... They give me a hot dog, but it was on, it was on, I can still remember it now, it was on a piece of paper that was folded up at the corner and there was no bread and it was just a hot dog with a blob of mustard and a blob of ketchup. Gross. It, yeah, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> still the best hot dog ever. Really? <laughs> yeah, but it was because, it, and they delivered it through a little hatch. You know, it was like the whole experience of yeah. it. It was absolutely brilliant. It's the hot dog you remember. Yeah, that is the hot dog I remember, not the millions of hot dogs I have had before and yeah. since. <laughs> so I guess it's a lot to do with perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, this thing about how much information we let in. Um, and, why, and why did you pick language, though? Because I'm quite interested in language. Well, because when we say language, we always think about this, me and you talking. Yeah. Or we think about books, or we think about early humans and the invention of fire when language started, you know, 50,000 years ago. Or, well, people argue about when it started, but... A lot of people have this theory that it started with the invention of fire because we were like, oh, the bear's not going to get us. What should we do? <laughs> Let's talk. <laughs> or they might be going, like, in order to just say, ow, that really hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's mad that that just building a campfire, invent the invention of fire led to like talking 
yeah, writing, it's, yeah. publishing, the internet. It's I, just yeah. insane. Yeah, completely insane. I think books are insane, though, because if you think about, like, <clears throat> reading a book. So you read a book and it's literally, I mean, it's paper, it's bits of tree with these funny little symbols on. <laughs> <laughs> and you look at them, you create an entire world. Yeah. And if you read that book and I read that book, be a different world yeah only there would be the same language but you would create a different interior vision of whatever that thing was than i would even though you might enjoy it as much as i do but it's a completely different world if we drew it it would look different yeah it's a madness beautiful <laughs> it's like that's i mean that's what i love about art yeah that it's so profound that people fill in blanks and get different visions it's funny what you said about the letterbox because my eldest daughter is um, dyslexic and a dyslexic teacher once said to me that she was like a wildebeest at the watering hole. Uh, you know, wildebeests have the eyes set on the side of their heads really far apart so they can see predators coming. Uh, and of course, we have eyes on the front of our head, so we look down. And that is a lot to do with perspective, I think. But also not perspective as in you can see into the distance, but perspective as in you choosing what you take in and what you don't take in. And um, yeah, she's like, she's really amazing overviews. Like now, she someone can walk into a room and she'll be really judgmental and she'll whisper in my ear, like, don't trust that person. She reads people so well. And she has this really strange sensibility where she can read all the social signs and signifiers. And she's a bit like, you know, Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, when he says, ah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the murderer had a poodle. And then Watson says, how do you know that? He's got, it, there was white hair on his turnips of his, you know, that kind of. Yeah. I mean, that's what art is really, isn't it? So, yeah. But I wonder where that fits in with this idea of being able to focus and having an overview has a lot to do maybe with empathy, which is interesting the way we are politically at the moment where, you know, there's a lot of people who aren't empathetic because they're so obsessed with their own position. And even though their own position is politically correct, I mean, I'm guilty of this as well, uh, it, we just don't listen to each other. It's like we're in an era of everyone wanting to talk, no one wanting to listen. Yeah, it's all broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> no reception. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's yeah, that's interesting about kind of empathy as well, because again, what you're saying is where do you put your attention? Like is your attention just on how you feel? Mm. Which obviously it kind of always is, isn't it? It's kind of always on your how you feel. How you feel about a situation. But actually if you turn that out to other people, then you completely change the situation that you're in. Yeah. Because you know, it's a kind of um. This is partly um, when you're younger, if you're feeling you know unsure of your place in the world, as everybody always does. You know, why would you be sure of your place in the world yeah. if you're young? So it's it's a big learning process where you think actually nobody's thinking about you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's only you thinking about yourself. So think about other stuff. It's fine. It's okay. Are you sure of you? Do you know? Do you feel like you you're comfortable and you know where your place in the world is now? Um. I'd say mostly, but not all the time. No, not really. It depends where you are. But loads it? more than when more you were than kid, when I was younger. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And that's how you settle, isn't it? Because then you have got those habits, or you do do the same thing over and over. And actually, maybe it's better if you don't always do yeah. that. You know? It's funny because I I uh, feel really comfortable in myself mm. at the moment, and I just think, fuck, I wish I'd been that comfortable for the last thirty years. I would have done much more. <laughs> Rather than just worry, yeah. sit at home worrying about Am I that. wrong? Am yeah. I right? Did they think this? 
Yeah. It's like one of those terrible, anxious hangovers where you wake up going, what did I say? Yeah. And then you remember what you said like and life's... it's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it feels like life's been a bit like that. Yeah. Yeah, there is definitely Watching your mistakes element. lying in your bed, watching your mistakes play out in front of you. But then you can do that thing where uh, I remember learning this from somebody where you just said, okay, you, it was a bad experience, right? Undoubtedly, you make a complete fool of yourself. You're an idiot. But bad experience plus time equals good anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> So you just That's have to true. wait for a little bit longer and good then it'll be a good anecdote. conversation. Yeah, it'll be fine. You can reclaim it. Or the other way of going about it is just listing what actually happened rather than what you thought happened. Yeah. So you like, it was a party. I turned up on time. I was dressed appropriately. I spoke to some nice people. I drank some drinks and then I went home. Vomited on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Vomited on the table, but cleaned it up and then went home. <laughs> I don't know what I mean. If you just list it kind of factually rather than what you actually said, you can kind of sometimes get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> I think most of my worries of faux pas probably weren't faux pas at all. No. Like picking up the wrong knife at a dinner's not. No, that doesn't you know, matter. Yeah. You really, yeah. I mean, that's just, uh, that's ancient, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's also slightly middle class. I remember going to a a restaurant when I was younger and this, this um, school friend owned it and it was a, Chinese restaurant. Well, can you imagine? I had to use chopsticks. I mean, I was like, it was so beyond me. Yeah. I was absolutely mortified. And she very sweetly then brought, you know, said, "Oh, you can have a, have a fork. Yeah, have a fork or whatever." And even then, I was like, "Which, which hand do I hold it? In? <laughs> I don't know what to do. It's rice." Yeah. Just what panicked. You know? It doesn't matter at all. Um, last night at this RA dinner, they did. It was all quite pomp and circumstance, and because it's the Royal Academy, it's like mm. the Queen, a toast to the Queen, and all this stuff, you know. So mad. Yeah, it's it's pretty. It's like going into a museum of life, but like with very diverse RA. All, all the RAs are very diverse people. It's not. And just like to, I feel like we should explain. So the RAs men. are yeah. people who are allowed into the Royal Academy. So they're artists, yeah, established so artists. The Royal Academy is an institution that's I don't know, 250 years old or something. Might be wrong that I don't mm. know. Uh, and there's always a hundred RAs, and the RAs are artists, Royal Academicians. And when one dies, the others vote. The other 99 vote on a new one to come in I just this just and really weirdly, makes me laugh the idea, one it's dies. like an old boys club but it's, it's not old boys anymore <laughs> so what's happened is i don't know why but i was looking at the stats and lo loads of people have died recently loads of ras so there's been a, this mad influx of people who you wouldn't assume would be conservative conformist historical um, kind of stereotypes of what we think an RA is. Mm. So, like, they let me in. <laughs> Scally Northerner in a wheelchair <laughs> who hides his medal because he's too scared of getting robbed. I was like, where I'm from, there's no way you'd put a medal on the outside of your clothing. <laughs> exactly, it's right under your duffel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they did, yeah, they did all these toasts and stuff and there was there was this heart, there was this, like, I don't know, I don't know what they call them, like, the, the person who introduces people when they walk in the mc the mc the old old school mc um and it's like a toast to the queen and then cannoli uh royal academician stand and i can't stand because they use a wheelchair and i was like oh this is a bit embarrassing a bit of an oversight because yinka shinibar is there as well and he uses yeah. a wheelchair and then loads of old people who are rays <laughs> and they use wheelchairs not because they can't walk but because they're just they're yeah, old like. and um 
I was like, that's funny. I was like, actually, that. And then loads of people stood up that weren't RAs got confused. And then all the everyone sat down and said, and can the guests stand up a toast? And then loads of RAs stood up and guests. And it was all so chaotic and confusing. And I thought, you know what? It's pretty good being in a wheelchair because I've just avoided two faux pas massively because <laughs> I couldn't participate at all. <laughs> so there's something that I didn't have to wake up at four yeah. o'clock and worry about. <laughs> I did wake up this morning worrying about other stuff, though. Oh, did you? Not about that dinner? No. What were you worrying about? If you can share with the I class. I can tell you. <laughs> nothing bad, nothing immoral. Yeah. Just vaping in the lift and stuff. Yeah, very bad. Just, yeah. Too naughty. Okay, so look, uh, what we've do- done then is essentially talk about three topics, which is time, suffolk and language, and it's all come back to the same thing, which is how you spend your time. Yeah. And what you can do in your life. I don't want to sound preachy, though. You are not. You never sound preachy. Don't worry about it. You're northern. <laughs> <laughs> Northerners don't sound preachy. They put Northerners on like TV commercials because they sound friendly, don't they? Yeah, they sound friendly and definitely not preachy. But what you're talking about really is a consciousness of time, of how long you might have, how long you've had, what you want to do and what you want, how you want to spend that time and use your attention. Yeah. Or like a celebration of agency, of choice, of how we, what we do. We are in control. You know, we say, oh, it's not fair. We can't do this, can't do that. The government says this, government says that. I can't do this because I haven't got the money to do that. Da, 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 da. But actually, I mean, it's like you thinking of all the things that do go right rather than the things that don't go right. If you think about all the things that you can affect and the things you can't, you do hold agency over, you know. Um, and we should, that's a kind of celebration, isn't it? But I'm also really aware in my, you know, because the, the work that I'm making at the moment, the things I'm writing are about time. I'm also really aware that it's easy for me to say because I'm a fucking artist. <laughs> so I've got loads of time. <laughs> Basically, it's like, you know, I don't have another job. I mean, I have loads of jobs, but they're all jobs that I choose to do rather yeah. than ones that... Um, that I have to turn up at a certain time. Yeah, exactly. So Locking I have agency over my time, so it's quite easy for me to bang on about how people should use their time and how great it is. But I know the reality of it for a lot of people is completely different. But I think if we remember that time is our greatest asset, like my dad said, that could only be a good thing. I remind myself of it all the time. Well, that's it. We've talked about time for a certain amount of time (laughs) and how much we love it. So I'm going to say uh, thanks very much, Ryan. It's very nice to talk to you. Pleasure. Always a pleasure. Yeah, and um, we're sending love to Lulu, the lovely Lulu, who will be back next time i'm sure for another edition of the fabulous where love lives bye see ya well lovely follow me down deep down where love lives once again a huge thanks to miranda and ryan for making this episode happen and making it absolutely fabulous i'm back next month for the final episode in this series with very special guest the super fabulous Anna Matronic. This podcast was produced and edited by me. Remember, if you like this podcast, do please leave a review on whichever platform you use and share with your friends. And follow me at Dr. Lulu LeVay. I won't bite. And remember, I love you.